the law school of america an execution warrant also called death warrant or black warrant is a writ that authorizes the execution of a condemned person an execution warrant is not to be confused with a license to kill which operates like an arrest warrant but with deadly force instead of arrest as the end goal united states in the united states either a judicial or executive official designated by law issues an execution warrant this is done when a person in trial court proceedings has been sentenced to death after trial and conviction and usually after appeals are exhausted normally when a death warrant is signed and an execution date is set the condemned person is moved from his or her death row cell to a death watch cell which is typically located adjacent to the execution chamber usually the government agency charged with carrying out an execution normally the state's department of corrections or the federal bureau of prisons in federal cases has a limited time frame normally about 60 days from the date the warrant is signed to complete the execution process or the warrant expires and the condemned person is returned to the death row cell where he or she will await another execution date stays of execution can be ordered in state cases by the governor of the state a trial court a state appeals court or state supreme court or a court in the federal judiciary including the united states supreme court in federal death penalty cases the trial court appeals courts The United States Supreme Court and President may grant a stay of execution. In all cases, the stay may be issued at any time, even when the condemned is being prepared for execution. Imprisonment from imprison via French imprisoner, originally from Latin prenzio, arrest from prehendere, prendere, to seize. In law, is the specific state of being physically incarcerated or confined in an institutional setting such as a prison. Courts of the United States, including the U.S. Supreme Court. have recognized that the minimum period in an indeterminate sentence that was actually imposed by a court of law is the official term of imprisonment in other words any street time for example probation parole or supervised release that was ordered by the court as part of the defendant's punishment does not constitute a term of imprisonment imprisonment in other contexts is the restraint of a person's liberty for any cause whatsoever whether by authority of the government or by a person acting without such authority The latter case constitutes false imprisonment. Imprisonment does not necessarily imply a place of confinement but may be exercised by any use or display of force, lawfully or unlawfully. People become prisoners wherever they may be by the mere word or touch of a duly authorized officer directed to that end. Sometimes gender imbalances occur in imprisonment rates, with incarceration of males proportionately more likely than incarceration of females. Ethnic minorities can also contribute disproportionate numbers to prison populations. History. United States. In the law of the United States, imprisonment does not include the period of probation, parole, or supervised release. For purposes of the Immigration and Nationality Act, INA, every reference to a term of imprisonment or a sentence is deemed to include the period of incarceration or confinement ordered by a court of law regardless of any suspension of the imposition or execution of that imprisonment or sentence in whole or in part this makes the word sentence and the phrase term of imprisonment synonymous some legal experts have claimed that when a court modifies the original sentence due to probation violation the resulting sentence counts for ina purposes But this premise conflicts with the plain language of the US Congress, which had long stated that the maximum penalty possible for the crime did not exceed imprisonment for 1 year and if the alien was convicted of such crime, the alien was not sentenced to a term of imprisonment in excess of 6 months, regardless of the extent to which the sentence was ultimately executed.
The aforementioned phrase maximum penalty possible for the crime generally refers to the lower portion of every sentence that was imposed under the guidelines. For example, if a person is convicted of a Pennsylvania misdemeanor and sentenced to 4 to 23 months of imprisonment, he or she has actually been sentenced to only 4 months of imprisonment for INA purposes. And if such person's minimum sentence was within the standard range of 0 to 111 halves months then his or her offense is obviously not punishable by one year or more of imprisonment. Everything to the contrary leads to absurdity and deprivation of rights under color of law. It is also important to note that for deportation purposes, a criminal alien must be rearrested and taken into custody of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement after his or her term of imprisonment has been completed. England and Wales Criminals and army soldiers have been imprisoned throughout history. In English law, imprisonment is the restraint of a person's liberty. The 17th century book Terms de Lale contains the following definition. Imprisonment is no other thing than the restraint of a man's liberty, whether it be in the open field, or in the stocks, or in the cage in the streets or in a man's own house, as well as in the common goals, and in all the places the party so restrained is said to be a prisoner so long as he hath not his liberty freely to go at all times to all places whither he will without bail or main prize or otherwise. This passage was approved by Atkin and Duke LJJ and Mearing v. Graham White Aviation Company It is not imprisonment to prevent a person from proceeding along a particular way if it is possible for him to reach his intended destination by another route. Imprisonment without lawful cause is a tort called false imprisonment. Now a word from our sponsor, the Law School of America. Cruel and unusual punishment is a phrase in common law describing punishment that is considered unacceptable due to the suffering pain, or humiliation it inflicts on the person subjected to the sanction. The precise definition varies by jurisdiction, but typically includes punishments that are arbitrary, unnecessary, overly severe compared to the crime, or not generally accepted in society. History. These exact words were first used in the English Bill of Rights 1689. They were later also adopted in the United States by the Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution ratified 1791, and in the British Leeward Islands, 1798. Very similar words, no one shall be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhuman or degrading treatment or punishment, appear in Article 5 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights adopted by the United Nations General Assembly on December 10, 1948. The right under a different formulation is also found in Article 3 of the European Convention on Human Rights. 1950, and in Article 7 of the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, 1966. The Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, 1982, also contains this fundamental right in Section 12 and it is to be found in Article 4, quoting the European Convention verbatim, of the Charter of Fundamental Rights of the European Union, 2000. It is also found in Article 16 of the Convention Against Torture and Other Cruel, Inhuman or Degrading Treatment or Punishment, 1984, and in Article 40 of the Constitution of Poland, 1997. The Constitution of the Marshall Islands, in the sixth section of its Bill of Rights, Article 2, prohibits cruel and unusual punishment, which it defines as, the death penalty, torture, inhuman and degrading treatment, and excessive fines or deprivations. United States. The Eighth Amendment to the United States Constitution states that cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. The general principles that the United States Supreme Court relied on to decide whether or not a particular punishment was cruel and unusual were determined by Justice William Brennan. In Furman v. Georgia, 1972, Justice Brennan dissenting wrote, There are, then, 
four principles by which we may determine whether a particular punishment is cruel and unusual. The essential predicate is that a punishment must not by its severity be degrading to human dignity, especially torture. A severe punishment that is obviously inflicted in wholly arbitrary fashion. Furman v. Georgia temporarily suspended capital punishment for this reason. A severe punishment that is clearly and totally rejected throughout society. A severe punishment that is patently unnecessary. And he added, the function of these principles, after all, is simply to provide means by which a court can determine whether challenged punishment comports with human dignity. They are, therefore, interrelated, and, in most cases, it will be their convergence that will justify the conclusion that a punishment is cruel and unusual. The test, then, will ordinarily be a cumulative one, if a punishment is unusually severe, if there is a strong probability that it is inflicted arbitrarily, if it is substantially rejected by contemporary society, and if there is no reason to believe that it serves any penal purpose more effectively than some less severe punishment, then the continued infliction of that punishment violates the command of the clause that the state may not inflict inhuman and uncivilized punishments upon those convicted of crimes. Continuing, he wrote that he expected that no state would pass a law obviously violating any one of these principles, so court decisions regarding the Eighth Amendment would involve a cumulative analysis of the implication of each of the four principles. In this way, the United States Supreme Court set the standard that a punishment would be cruel and unusual if it was too severe for the crime, it was arbitrary, if it offended society's sense of justice, or if it was not more effective than a less severe penalty. Capital Punishment there is great discussion as to whether capital punishment is considered cruel and unusual. Common arguments are that capital punishment is more expensive when factoring in appeals versus life in prison, and that the government has been wrong before on death penalty cases, therefore, the government could be wrong again, and the government ought not have the authority to end a life. These two arguments alone may or may not qualify under the tests the government puts forth, which could also be considered arbitrary itself especially if society is not informed enough on these considerable facts. For most of recorded history, capital punishments were often deliberately cruel and painful. Severe historical execution methods include the breaking wheel, hanged, drawn and quartered, mazzatello, boiling to death, death by burning, execution by drowning, death by starvation, immurement, flaying, disembowelment, crucifixion, impalement, crushing, execution by elephant, keel hauling stoning, dismemberment, sawing, slow slicing, blood eagle, bamboo torture and necklacing. In 2008, Michael Portillo on the show Horizon argued that in ensuring an execution is not of a cruel and unusual nature, the following criteria must be met. Death should be quick and painless to prevent suffering for the person being executed. Medical education should be provided to the executioner to prevent suffering caused by error. The death should not be gory to prevent suffering for those carrying out the execution, and no cooperation should be required from the person being executed, to prevent inaction, distress, and or suffering caused by the prisoner being required to participate in their own execution. The show argued that hypoxia appears to meet the criteria, by way of applying a combination of the gases argon and nitrogen, as the person being executed would not feel any physical pain but would experience a euphoric state. It was further argued that these gases could be applied cheaply and efficiently by restraining the prisoner by way of physical restraints and masks. The Law School of America The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio.
The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America